Welcome. Here we are, message number seven. In our series through the book of 1 John, we've called it Vital Signs, the Indicators of Spiritual Life. So we've been studying these indicators, not the indicators of physical life. If you were to take your pulse, that would show, ah, I'm physically alive because I can feel that. But there are certain spiritual vital signs that you will feel in your life if you're saved. That's the whole theme of 1 John, is to give us assurance, confidence of our personal salvation. The, the theme verse there, it's in 1 John 5.13. It's in your outline. See it there on your outline? Let's read it out loud together. Let's all get into this. This is the Word of God. Let's read it out loud, starting with, I write these things. Here it is. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Underline the word know. The book of 1 John was written so we would know we have eternal life. And when these indicators of spiritual life are in your life, you see them. You can have the knowledge, the assurance, the certainty that you are born again, that you're a child of God, that you're a Christian. And guess what? We're going to learn this morning there are a lot of people that think they're Christians, but they're not. There are a lot of people that are sincerely deceived. And that's why it's so important that there's this book that God's given us in the Bible to give us the assurance that truly I belong to God. That's why this book is so important. Well, so far we've looked at six vital signs that indicate we have spiritual life. And by the way, I would encourage you to start memorizing these because I'm going to test you on them in a little bit. If I were to say to you, what are the six vital signs that say you have eternal life? One day I'm going to have you turn to your, on your tables and see if you can guess them. So you should start memorizing these. The first is fellowship. All believers have fellowship with God and one another. The second is walking in the light. All Christians, they walk in the light, not in the darkness. The third is Christ-likeness. All Christians resemble Jesus Christ to a degree. The fourth is spiritual growth. All Christians grow spiritually. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not grow spiritually. If you're not growing spiritually, you're not a Christian. Sorry, it's a vital sign. Either you have it or you don't. Loving not the world. Every single Christian, if you're a Christian, you have this anti-love for the evil system of this world. If you love evil, you're not a Christian. Sorry, that doesn't mean that you don't slip into these things once in a while and flirt with evil, but to truly love it and embrace it, that is not a vital sign that shows you have eternal life. And also the Holy Spirit's anointing. All Christians experience the power of the Holy Spirit surging through their lives. We studied that last Sunday, and this morning, the vital sign number seven is this, a purifying hope. Repeat that after me. A purifying hope. Now, this one's a little bit hard to kind of get initially. But question, how do you know you possess eternal life? Answer, you will possess and experience, watch this, a purifying hope or a hope that purifies your life. And only believers possess and experience this type of spiritual hope. One person said, you know, you can live four weeks without food. You can live four days without water, four minutes without oxygen, but you can't live four seconds without hope. So if you're alive, the reason is you have hope. But watch this. If you're spiritually alive, there is a type of spiritual hope 
that you possess and you only possess because you have eternal life. And as I preach through this, you're going to go, oh yeah, I have that. If you're not a Christian, you're going to say, oh yeah, I don't have that. These are very black and white topics. They're not confusing. I mean, this is like you have spirit. You either are alive spiritually or you're dead. It's no in-between. You either have these indicators or you don't. Wow. If you are spiritually alive, you will possess this type of spiritual hope that only Christians possess. You can't manufacture it. God has put it there on the day you believed and received the gift of everlasting life. Now, let me say a few things about hope in general, just kind of give you a biblical little theological teaching on hope in general that I think is helpful. First of all, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's not it's an absolute future reality guaranteed by the Lord. In your outlines, Hebrews 6.19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The Bible describes hope as an anchor. It's firm and secure. Another thought, the ultimate goal of our hope is our eternal glory, is our glorification to become like Christ. Galatians 5.5 says, by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope, which is being made righteous completely when we see Jesus. Another thought, our hope is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope you possess is alive, and it's guaranteed because Jesus rose from the dead. And lastly, our hope is internal and energized in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's a lot to take in, but let me bottom line it for you, and it's this. At salvation, as Christians, we receive as part of our eternal life a purifying hope or a spiritual hope that purifies. Now, go back in 1 John chapter 2 and look at verse 20. We studied this last Sunday, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. That anointing is the Holy Spirit. Now, John's going to expand on what that anointing or what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And what the Holy Spirit does is he, watch this, brings with himself a hope that purifies. Now, let me give you a definition. It's kind of long, but I've written it out. And it's this, a purifying hope is the hope that one day we will be made fully like Jesus. You, you, you have that if you're a Christian. You know one day you're going to be made like Jesus. This hope moves us to become more and more like Jesus now in this life. And this prompting comes from the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So let me give you a little picture of this. Right now, we know that, that you know, in our daily lives, we're not completely like Jesus. This last week, we've sinned, we've blown it, we've fallen short in our attitudes and our actions. But we know, however, one day when Jesus returns, sin is going to be eradicated, taken away, and we're going to become like Jesus in character, and that's going to be an amazing day. And this hope that we have of the future, it does something in the present in our lives. It sanctifies us to become more and more like Jesus right now in this life. In a nutshell, that's what we're going to be talking about in this message. This spiritual purifying hope is a vital sign of all Christians. Let's read about it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. 
through chapter 3, verse 3. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, speaking about Jesus, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we will see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, this is a cool passage. I want to give you three facts about a believer's purifying hope that are true of all Christians. First fact about a believer's purifying hope. This, it, it, this hope, it moves us to continue in Jesus. How do we know we possess this purifying hope that the Holy Spirit puts in our lives? The Holy Spirit moves us, prompts us, encourages us to continue walking, abiding, being with Jesus. Is this your experience? Do you feel this inner tug from the Holy Spirit to continue walking with Jesus? This is what a believer's purifying hope produces. Look at chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, speaking to Christians, continue in him. That's the command. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You see, part of what the Holy Spirit does in your heart, in your life, is he is always preparing you, watch this, to meet Jesus when he returns. Do you know that the greatest number one command in all the Bible, or number one prophetic truth that's, all, that's throughout the Bible, the number one is that Jesus is coming back. He's going to return. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the most frequently mentioned truth in all the New Testament. It's mentioned 318 times in 260 chapters. And notice the command, continue in him. That phrase, continue in him, in the Greek, it's one word, meno. Say that word with me, meno. It means to abide, to persevere in the faith. Now, why is John commanding us to meno, to continue, to abide, so that when Jesus appears, we will be confident and unashamed before him at his coming, which tells us this. Some people will be ashamed of Jesus at his coming. Some people are not going to be ready for Jesus at his coming. And I think one of the, the, to me, the most terrifying passage in all the Bible, first of all, is Revelation 20 with a great white throne judgment, but the one prior to that isn't found in Matthew. Go to Matthew. Be terrified for a moment with me, would you? In Matthew 7, this is really, every time I read this, man, this is terrifying. Because this is a, what's going to happen in the future when people see Jesus. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know what God's will is? Abide in Jesus. Many, it doesn't say few, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? In other words, weren't we religious? 
we did all these things. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Here we have a portrait of a person who is sincere. This is what just is scary to me. This is a sincere person who thinks they are a Christian, thinks they have the vital sign of eternal life in their lives. And they come before God, did we not do this? Did we not do that? It's all based on works. There was no abiding in a relationship. This is the description of a person who will be ashamed of Jesus at his appearing. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Yeah, you had all this religion, but there's no relationship of abiding. We never knew each other. There was nothing personal here. It was just an external thing that you did. That's not eternal life. Religion, no relationship. And it, now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed. Question, how can we have confidence before Jesus at his coming? He's coming. Christ is coming. He said it's all throughout the Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming when? Soon, the Bible says. My reward is with me. I'll give to everyone according to what he's done. Well, how can we, you know, be confident? Verse 28 tells us in 1 John, Dear children, continue in him. Abide in him. Remain in Jesus. The only way we can stand firm and have confidence before Jesus at his coming is by the grace of God. As we humbly abide, remain in Jesus, stay connected to the vine. Remember, Jesus talked about this abiding, this menowing in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Do you see Jesus as your vine? Are you one of his branches? Only you know that in your heart. That, that describes a connected relationship of intimacy. You are one with each other. You are not him, but you are connected to him. And you are remaining. If a man remains in me, there it is, meno, the same word, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And apart from him, you can't stand before him. You can't have confidence before him. But if you're remaining with him, you're abiding with him, that gives you the confidence. Because it's all in Christ for you to see him. How do we know we possess spirits, this spiritual purifying hope that belongs only to Christians? Answer, this purifying hope will move us to continue in him, to stay in him, to stay connected to him, to have this relationship. I'm not talking about religion here. This is not about, gee, it moves me to come to church to check this off. No, 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 no. You have this relationship. It's precious and it's dear and you're connected and the Holy Spirit moves you to stay with Jesus and you're with Jesus and he is with you and you're doing life together. This is not a once a week thing when you show up, no. This is a day by day. You walk with him. That's abiding. You have this relationship with him. I'd like you to talk about this a little bit. How have you experienced the Holy Spirit's promptings to continue abiding with Jesus? Talk about that. Go for it. Okay, we're looking at a believer's purifying hope. Three facts that will be true about our lives if we have this purifying hope. First of all, this hope moves us to continue in Him. Second is this. This hope moves us to do what is right. How do we know we possess this purifying hope, this hope that purifies the Holy Spirit will be prompting us to do what is right? Watch this all the time. That doesn't mean we do right all the time, but there's this prompting within that moves us reminds us to do what is right all the time. 
So let me just ask you a question. Is, is this your experience? Take this last week, for example. Were there moments this last week when the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do what is right at work? I mean, driving? Oh. I mean, I can give you examples. I'm driving down the road all by myself, and I look and I see a really cute, but beautiful girl dressed very seductively. First look is fine. It's the second look the Holy Spirit. Some of you are feeling me right now. It's the second look that the Holy Spirit is saying, Mark, turn away, turn away. It was not easy to turn away, but I turned away. And that girl was my wife, by the way. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) You're feeling me. We have this all the time. I had a tax appointment, you know, before the 15th. That usually helps, okay? But I had this appointment, and I'm going to the Holy Spirit saying, Mark, be honest. And I come to that point where there's a question asked of me, and, what, and I was like, well, I think it's this amount. And then I had to go home and look it up, and I go, it wasn't that amount. I owed more money. And so I had to send an email to my tax guy and say, hey, it's this amount. See, the, this is just a little snippet. Yes, all people have a conscience. But you see, a Christian, the Holy Spirit speaks to your conscience. This is how you know the vital sign of a purifying hope is real in your life. The Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to you about doing what is right. Look at chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, Jesus, and we know Jesus is righteous. He's perfect, right? He does what is right all the time. That's what righteousness means here. You know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. In other words, you know you're born of him. If you do what is right, and the reason you do what is right is because Jesus does what is right. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about what is right. Have you ever asked yourself, why do Christians seek to do what is right? The reason is, is because we are born of God. And we possess the Holy Spirit within us, who is always speaking to us about being like Christ, who is always righteous. That doesn't mean we always do what is right, but guess what? If you're not hearing the promptings of the Spirit of God encouraging you to do what is right, you're not a Christian. You do not have spiritual life in you. And you you have to hear that on your own. I do not want you to be the person that stands before Jesus and him saying, I never knew you. You had religion, but you didn't have eternal life. Because when you have eternal life, the vital signs are bouncing up and down. And you're hearing God's Spirit speak to you. That doesn't mean we always obey, beloved, but you're hearing that. See, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Hey, the old is, there's a new way of living now. And that new way of living is abiding with Jesus and his spirit is speaking to you and he's prompting you to seek to do what is right for the glory of God because God is making you like Christ. Now, Take your Bibles and turn back a few books. Go to the book of Titus, First and Second Timothy, the book of Titus. If you hit Hebrews or you've gone too far, look at Titus. And I want you to see how Paul talks about this purifying hope also and basically says the same thing. And he says there in verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Okay, what does this grace do that has brought salvation to you? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God teaches us because we're saved. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. How do you know you possess this purifying hope? This hope moves us to do what is right. Not perfectly, but there's a degree of this hope in our lives as the Holy Spirit is speaking to us that gives evidence that we truly are saved. Does that make sense? Say amen if it does. Okay. Now, I'd like you to talk about this. And by the way, these first two points are just the intro to this message. I'm dying because I've got so much I want to preach on. It just gets better. The third point, but I want you to talk about this before we move on. How have you experienced the Holy Spirit's promptings to do what is right? Talk about that at your tables. Okay, third fact about the Holy Spirit's purifying hope in our lives. This hope moves us to continue in Jesus, abiding with him. This hope moves us to do what is right, to be righteous like he is righteous. And lastly is this. Wow, and this is where it gets good. This hope moves us to be more like Jesus. This is the heart of our purifying hope, is it moves us to be more like Jesus. How do we know we possess this purifying hope? The Holy Spirit will be prompting us to become more and more like Jesus all the time. And if this is your experience, you feel this inner tug to be more like Jesus, you're in love with Jesus, you want to be like Jesus in your attitude and the way you talk and the way you act, guess what? You are alive with the Holy Spirit. You are born again by the Spirit of God. And this purifying hope is within. Now, this purifying hope was so powerful and so precious to John that John literally in his heart erupts in praise to God as he begins to write about it. And, and, and man, I could preach on this for an hour. I am serious. I need an hour right now. <laughs> I wish. Whoa. But uh, look at verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. This is how John begins. And think about that. How great that God has lavished his love on you. That we should be called children of God. Isn't it amazing that God doesn't call you slaves? He calls you his children. That's the term God gives for you because he loves you so much. Some of you, your family is so messed up, you can't even begin to describe it. And yet you've got a perfectly heavenly father who has called you child, son, daughter. And John is blown away at this, and he's just, how great is the love of God that he would call me a sinner, redeem me, and call me his child. John 1, 12 and 13, I put it in your notes. Yet to all received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not just the wish, but a right has been given. God has made that right. It's a legal term that you are his child, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Then look what he says there in verse uh, 1. He says, and that is what we are. You see, no one can take this away from you. You can be fired from your job. You can lose your marriage. Whatever is going on, lose all your money. But no one can take away the fact that, watch this, God calls you child, my child. You are my child. That's how much I love you. And then he goes on to say, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Do you ever feel like the world doesn't get you? The world doesn't understand you. That person at work, you know, they don't know Christ, but they, they really don't get you. You're weird to them. You're strange to them. Guess what? They didn't get to know 
they didn't know Jesus either. They didn't get Jesus. The reason the world doesn't know you, so to speak, is you're God's child. You are completely and totally unique and special. There is something spiritual within you that is foreign to people who are without eternal life. And you are God's child. That is why the Bible calls us aliens and strangers, 1 Peter 2.11. And then John says this. He says, he's this awesome, verse 2, dear friends, Now we are children of God. Right now, this is who you are. You've been made as a child of God right now through the new birth. And then he says this, and what we will be has not yet been made known. What we will be. Right now in this moment, you're a child of God. What you will be in the future is not yet fully known right now. John is saying it's impossible for us to fully comprehend right now with our finite minds what we will be in the future. You see, your life right now in this present is a speck. Picture this as a big blackboard, and I put one speck here, boom. That's your life right now. But what what you will be will take up the rest of this blackboard. That's eternity. What you will be in glory as you're glorified, your living hope, is completely different than you are right now. And we're not fully, completely, even the Bible, the way it described, we don't know exactly what that means. Paul said, now we see but a poor reflection as a mirror. But then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I'm fully known. That is, in the future, you're going to understand it all. But right now, you're a child, but in the future, we're going to become something different. What is that? John gives us a clue, and the clue is really cool. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's the clue. What will we be? Like him. Wow. The order of events is clear, beloved. This is what's going to happen. At any second, the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture will happen. The rapture is a movement from earth to heaven where all believers will be taken off this planet and meet Jesus in the air. The dead in Christ... Their bodies who are in the grave, their spirits are with Jesus, will precede us, go ahead of us. But it's going to happen in a millisecond. It'll happen so fast that all of us will meet Jesus in the air. That's the first thing that's going to happen as we become what we don't know exactly what we're going to become yet. Number one, the rapture happens. We will meet Jesus in the air. We will see him with our own eyes. And when we see Jesus, we are transformed. That is what's going to take place. Read, get my series, The End, and you can get a whole hour on the rapture. But that's what's going to happen. Now, I love what com- one commentator said this. John seems almost to suggest that there is something in the mere sight of the glorified Christ that will purge his followers of sin and conform them to his own perfect image. Now, what does this mean, that we will be like Jesus? We can't fully comprehend this. But it means we're going to be made holy, We're going to be made absolutely righteous. We will reign. We will be co-heirs with Christ. We will be able to travel at the speed of thought, not of lights, but of thought even faster. We will be able to dematerialize and materialize. These are just some of the cool things. We will be able to eat because everything that Jesus was in his glorified state, we will be. All that and more. C.S. Lewis said 
that if you were to see yourself now in heaven the way you will be in a mirror, you would fall down and worship yourself. That's how awesome you are going to be. Wow. I mean, that, that's a thought. What will we be? This is our hope, you see. This is secure and firm, and we know this. That's why death is something we don't fear, beloved. This is who we will be. It's fixed. It's secure. And guess what? The implications for this right now are huge in our lives. Now, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 15, because like I said, I need an hour to preach on this. But uh, we need to just, man, this is awesome. If you haven't read this, this is going to get your blood just pumping. 1 Corinthians 15, this describes, again, I'm preaching on right now what we will be. And Paul tried to describe this a little bit. And he says there in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 and following, he says, this is cool, follow along. So if you're getting a little old, and you're like, man, this will be, could be kind of soon, take great encouragement from this. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. Guess what? You die physically, you're going to rise again. It's a reality. Well, what's it going to look like? What are you going to be? The body that is sown is perishable. Right now, my body, perishable. But it's going to be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. My body right now, this is a dishonoring body. It's sin cursed. It is raised in glory. What is that going to really look like? I don't know. It is sown in weakness. I am weak, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. This is natural, but guess what? Your future body will be spiritual, but it will be a body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, who is Christ, a life-giving spirit. And that's who we're going to be in Christ, a life-giving spirit. These are all terms that describe what you will be. The spirit did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual, who was found in Christ. The first man was uh, of the dust of the earth, Adam, right? The second man from heaven. The second Adam is Jesus. But we, because we're in Christ, we're kind of like that second Adam as well, in terms of who we're going to be. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. You're going to be of heaven. I don't know what that exactly means, but, you know, the Bible only goes so far. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, okay, Adam, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven, Jesus. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, in other words, you can't be in the body you are right now, just flesh and blood, and go to the kingdom of God. You, you, you can't live there. No man can see God in this body, and you will melt like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Those guys, remember, they're looking at the glory, you know. You're going to be made into something completely different. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That means we're not all going to die. But we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. That's the rapture. It's going to happen at 186,000 miles per second is the speed of light that it comes past the retina, and boom, that's how fast the rapture is going to happen. For the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we, those who are alive, will be changed. That's the rapture. Those who are alive during the rapture. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality... Then the saying is that is, that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where of death is your victory? Where of death is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is who we are going to be in, in the terms that the Bible describes that we can best, you know, with our finite minds understand. I like what Philippians says there in your notes. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. This is describing our hope, our glorification. And all of this is to fulfill the promise of Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. This is our absolute, sure, guaranteed hope. Now, what does this type of spiritual hope do for us in the here and now? Go back to 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse 3. Everyone, in light of all of this, John is saying, who has this hope in him, in Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, everyone who has this hope, this hope that when Jesus appears, we will see him and be like him, this type of hope purifies us. So we become even more like Jesus in the here and now. Now, let me describe, I need to preach on this for a little bit. I mean, let's admit it. When we live our lives with this type of hope that Jesus could return at any single second, this has a purifying effect on our lives. Let me, let me put it really practical. If today, I've got my cell phone, I knew, I could tell you, the rapture was going to happen. It's 1049 right now. The rapture is going to happen at 330 today. That truth will have a purifying effect in your life. You are going to get out of here right now. And what are you going to do? You're going to make sure things are right with you and God. You're going to make sure things are right with maybe that person you offended or whatever. You're going to deal with some things because your hope, knowing it's going to come to fruition at 3.30 today, is going to absolutely change the way you live. Are you following me? You see, when we live with this purifying hope in mind, it purifies us. Wow. It's like the first time I knew that I was going to see Tracy. I knew she was at a friend of mine's house. I'd seen her. But I was going to see her for the first time and actually talk to this girl. And so you know what I did? That knowledge of my visit purified me. I put on deodorant. I had my Corvette back then, drove my Corvette to that house. I wanted to bring the nicest car I could. Before I got out of that car, combed my hair, got my shirt on, you know, and I I was driving my shirt off. Oh, I can make a good impression. Put a shirt on. Yeah. Went in there, met Trace. I mean, trying to make, see, that hope of meeting her purified me. It's the same with, when we know Jesus, it purifies us and Christians live with this reality. Do you want to know what happened when I first talked to her? Do you want to know that story? Oh, this is a good story. I told you I need an hour. Um, so, you know, I'm a joker, man. I love playing games. And I had this amazing conversation with her. I found out she's from, you know, 
back east, New Hampshire, and I'm like, wow. And her qualities in her life were awesome. And there were, she was kind of house-sitting. And there were two other friends of mine. and there, So there were three guys and Tracy. And I noticed they had a hot tub in the backyard. I said, let's go hot tubbing. So the three of us guys went to go change, and Tracy was going to go change in, you know, in her bathing suit. She'd never been into a hot tub before, by the way. I found out later. And, and, of course, when we go into the hot tub, I bring with my guys, I go, we're going to play a joke on her. This is going to be so hilarious. I want you to bring in three extra. Each of us have an extra pair of shorts. So we get into the hot tub. It's all bubbling. We put the shorts between our legs like this. So Tracy kind of comes in, takes the towel off, you know, sits down in the hot tub. And then, of course, at the right moment, I say, I had the thing, you know, lift the hand, thumbs up, and all these three shorts bubble to the top. <laughs> it was a purifying hope moment, ladies and gentlemen. She jumped out of that hot tub so fast. She ran away from us so fast. And I am dying laughing. I'm like, that's the girl I want to marry. <laughs> wasn't planning on sharing that story here today ladies and gentlemen I don't know I'm just saying when you know Jesus can come back and it purifies you wow look at 2 Corinthians 7 1 you know the Holy Spirit of course is the one who gives us the power to become more like Jesus but there's a role that we play, you see, in all of this. Dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Second Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? In other words, since you know Jesus coming, what you, you ought to live holy. And godly lives as you look forward to the day and speed its coming. So are we living our lives with this purifying hope? I believe we are. I believe the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to abide in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is encouraging you to do what is right. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is encouraging you to be like Jesus. Because you realize at any moment he could return. And this has a purifying effect on our lives. And so if this is resonating with you, if you're going, yeah, you know, Mark, maybe I hadn't thought it in those terms, but this is my experience, praise the Lord. That just assures you that you do have eternal life. All right. I want you to discuss this, and then we're going to wrap it up. How have you experienced the Holy Spirit's promptings for you to be more like Jesus in light of the fact that he could return at any moment? Take a moment and talk about that. Okay, so we've looked at the seventh vital sign, spiritual vital that shows we have eternal life, and it's a purifying hope, a purifying hope. I read earlier the definition of that. I just want to right now invite you into a time where you just examine your own heart, your own life, to say, do I have this vital sign? A purifying hope is the hope that one day we'll be made like Jesus, this hope moves us to become more like Jesus in this life. Abiding in Jesus, doing what's right like Jesus, being like Jesus in our attitudes, in our actions. And this prompting comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is prompting us because Jesus can return at any moment, and the Holy Spirit is preparing you to meet him. 
Does this mean every single Christian is going to experience a perfect, purifying hope? No. But there's a degree that this is true in your life that gives evidence you have eternal life because all people who have eternal life have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is always purifying us. And you have to say, if I'm not being purified, if the Holy Spirit isn't encouraging me to abide in Jesus, do what's right, and prepare to meet Jesus, is the Holy Spirit there? And, and it's only something you can answer for yourself. Uh, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I mean, this is not a, like, hidden thing. The hope is real, this hope. So it's time to evaluate. I mean, why is it that Christians could be on their deathbed and not be afraid of death? The purifying hope is in their lives. Jim even talked to me about that on the phone here. You know, Jim, Cerna, with his triple bypass, just realizing that there is a peace about his life. That, that's the purifying hope of God that is so real in your life, the Holy Spirit reassuring you that you're a God's child. So in your life, examine yourself, the Bible says, to see if you're in the faith. Beloved, if you're watching this on video, this is not me in any way. I care for you. I love you. But I, you need to know as a pastor, I go, there are a lot of people in home builders. Sometimes it drives me crazy that I don't know every single one of your names where I could pray for you individually. A lot of your names I know. But I am, it drives me nuts. Even in a class of the size of our church, there are over 400, 500 people that just come here and you watch it on video. I may not know you, but I care that you would not be the person that would meet God one day and he would say, I never knew you. I, I, you do not know. That's why I'm preaching this whole series. It comes from a love, a concern that you know for sure you have eternal life. And I'm just like, Lord, if there's anyone here and they're like, I don't want them to receive like there's any judgment on them. This is your Holy Spirit trying to awaken them to the fact that maybe they don't have eternal life. But if you have eternal life, there's going to be this purifying hope in your life that comes to all who believe. And so you should examine yourself. And there are three things that are true about those who have a purifying hope. It moves us to continue in him, to abide in Jesus, to stay with Jesus like he's the vine and we're the branch. It moves us to do what is right. It's like, not perfectly, but there's this, this ringing true inner coming, hey, to move us to be like Jesus, really. It comes from the Holy Spirit. We want to be like Jesus and be ready. You're aware that Jesus could return at any time. I mean, that's there. The Holy Spirit reminds us of this truth. It's the greatest truth in all the New Testament that Jesus said, I am coming back. And he could come back at any single moment. If that's the greatest truth, don't you think the Holy Spirit would be preparing us for that greatest truth? Yeah, he, he is. So 1 John was written to give us confidence, assurance. I want there to be like an exclamation point that you know you're saved. It's not a question mark like, well, I don't know. But no, there's an absolute exclamation. Yeah, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm born again. And I know it because, for one thing, I've got this purifying hope. So if this purifying hope is part of your experience, you can know you have eternal life. If it doesn't characterize your life, praise the Lord. What a great moment for you right here to say, God, this doesn't characterize me. I need to be born again. I need to become your child. I need your Holy Spirit to come within 
and give me this purifying hope so I can be abiding in you, doing what is right, and preparing my life to meet Jesus. Mm, let's pray.